All right, Shanaz. Wow, why don't you tell me a little bit about uh, who you are? Oh, and I should tell a little about uh, Much of Doge About Nothing first, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Much of Doge About Nothing is a play on the as a play on the Shakespeare play Much Ado About Nothing, except with Doge. It was uh, based off of Hella Doge and like all the interesting people that are on there. So, you know, I'm, uh, I want to like interview uh, these people who are doing interesting things and like basically hear about their life story. That's interesting. So who yeah. is Shanaz Khan? Well, to my family, I'm just, you know, the daughter a aunt, a granddaughter. To the world, I'm like a best friend, a mentor, like any a person you can come to if you like, you know, want to discuss and talk about things. That's me. But most importantly, you know, I'd say I like I, I like to think I'm a problem solver. So I like to solve things like that are complex and make them more simple than what they are. I believe that's me. Hmm, you're a priest. Yeah. <laughs> I like, well, you know, priests have different connotations, right? What's, you know, currently being um, associated with them as we speak, you know, the pre predominantly, oh, hang on. Yeah, priests are like predominantly known, you know, to being child molesters and so forth but yeah I don't want to be known as that <laughs> well where were you born Shanaz? So I'm born here in the United Kingdom in London England oh London nice yeah in the actual capital city because I know when I speak with um, everyone from around the world and they're just like well where are you from and I'm just like um, yeah London England but they always assume that the whole of the United Kingdom is called London. So I have to say, no, no, no. The capital is called London. But was split up into, between, like, four other nations, you know, with, like, United Kingdom, Wales, Scotland, Northern, Northern Ireland, and England. Oh, you gotta, you gotta be specific to, like, with them, huh? Yeah, I, I just have to, like, let them know. Just like, hey, oh, okay. yeah. From uh, England, then the capital of England, London. Just like, oh, Where'd you go to high school? Uh, so I went to a high school called Rooksheath High School, but I believe they changed it to Rooksheath uh, College of Business and Enterprise just, uh, I think, before we left or just after, because I hear about this after when my friends and their younger siblings and they attend and they tell me, and I'm just like, oh, a lot has changed since we left. Yeah. Yeah. What was high school like for you? High school was how can I say? It was alright. It was like um it, it was I would say it was a bit different compared to my other friends when they tell me that how they have one particular timetable, but whereas um and they stick through that throughout the whole year long, right? The whole like semester, the whole terms. And the term your academic year but whereas us like for me I remember having two different timetables so like week one and week two and you'd have to remember to like to bring everything that you have for week one for week one 
And if you miss out stuff that if you're on week two, right, and then you have the and then you accidentally bring something for week one that wasn't supposed to be for week two timetable slot, they I remember they just tell you off and just write you up and you get like a detention. Yeah, my school had the the two week timetable too. Really? Like week one or week two and they alternate? Yes, that's that's the system we had. So you're probably the first other person that I've ever known about this, apart from my own siblings and friends. Really? I think it's a, a normal system for IB schools. No, it, it was just ours like, that I knew of. Everyone else just like, no, they just had one particular timetable. And I was just huh. like, what? I feel like I'm going insane here. Someone has to like relate to this. Yeah, yeah. We had a, we had a two-week schedule, week one and week two. And uh, it just alternated back and forth. There wasn't like one particular timetable that you had for the entire semester. Yeah, because I remember like hearing about this and my friends would be like, no, we just had one. And I was just like, you're so lucky. The the stress that you had, especially if we had PE or we had food cooking, right? It was mm-hmm. like the panic because the teacher would actually be really strict and she'd be like, where's your ingredients? Right, link book. Yeah, give me your link book and we'd, we'd write you up and you're just like, oh gosh. And, just, and then they'd <laughs> use the whole thing like, you're, you're 15, you should be like, be responsible for your actions. So like, yeah. And then there's only so much you can just think about. You're just like, yeah, I actually generally forgot. <laughs> no, the key is you just have to carry everything in your backpack all the time. You've got to carry that like, that 40 pound weight around you. Yeah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I, I'm just not doing that. Because there'd be some lessons, right, that you'd have books for. And I'd be like, yeah, I'm not doing this. It's just too much. Well, what was like, life like for you in high school? Life was all right. You know, like, what, I do would, you, remember, what would you do and stuff? No, I do remember because I, I, I'd get, like, colds a lot. So, like, every other week, yeah, when my friends would be like, yeah, oh, we did this, we did this. And I'm just like, I was there at home, like, sick and recovering from a cold because <laughs> someone gave it to me, some neighbor or some, like, business associate. I'm like, really? I'm sick again. <laughs> but, yeah, oh. high school was, like, amazing because, you know, you, you learned a lot. I, I want to say I was an outsider, but, like, I, I connected with every single person. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the coolest things, like to be able to walk away with that. And then like, you know, it's played a hand in real life when it came to like networking, I'm easily able to like strike out conversations, find everyone's like mutual, like yeah, meeting point, and, like, like ground points to like talk on. I believe that was like um, a big factor to play in, but I like to say, yeah, that's from that. But then also I believe like majority is from, um, like my cultural, my, uh, my background, where my parents are from, had a like big hand in play in that. Do you feel like that skill has like helped you, you know, in post college in like your career? It has, because like I said, like with the networking, right? Mm-hmm. Networking goes a long way. If if you're like an, invited to an event. Yeah, it could be a bit daunting and so forth, but then you kind of have to like push yourself out of that comfort zone and be able to like talk with people and just be like, hey, like, you know, 
tell me a bit about you then you find you know everyone will start off with like the usual hey how are you and then um you move on to like what you do for work and so forth and then that's when the the conversation like truly flows I find because it's up to both like sides to say to move it along to get it going to be like okay well hey you're interested in this and from your work have you heard about this latest story and then you know you end up falling down a rabbit hole of conversations and then soon enough you have like a group of other people like joining in and you're just like yeah let's bring the like whole group together <laughs> let's have our mm. own individual panel talk yeah it is like a panel talk mm. what about you uh, i was kind of the same way I um I had my friends, but our class was kind of segment. It was a small, it was a small graduating class. It was like forty five people, but mm-hmm. it um it was like the Russians would hang out with the Russians, the Koreans would hang out with the Koreans, the English speakers would hang out with the English speakers, and the locals with the locals. But I was like one of the few people that tried to involve everyone, and I would just I would I would be the person that spoke to everyone because I didn't want to. I don't know, I never realized the clicks until, like, looking back on it, you know? They never really registered to me. Yeah. And I think, like, a lot of the times, it's because of movies that make you realize, like, hey, actually, high school, there are cliques. So you kind of question, like, which clique was I part of? And so it forth. Yeah, I was probably part of, like, the burnout clique or something. <laughs> oh. I, I don't, I don't, I don't recall being the uh, academically best student. I had a teacher tell me uh, I'm a great person, but I'm not the greatest student. Oh, there was a uh, talk for like the, the year, the, the seniors to speak to the incoming like IB students. Mm-hmm. And like, I signed up to talk to them, but like they, they didn't uh, let me do that. They're like, we probably don't want you, uh, um, being a spokesperson for that that's a bit mean it's a bit rude yeah isn't it but i mean th- that doesn't bother me they'll they'll see me later on the cover of forbes and they'll be like hmm, maybe we should have let him talk <laughs> yeah that's you know what i found um, exactly that right mm-hmm. your your um schools and so forth like whichever alumni you're part of um a network it's like they don't care about the students and all of a sudden your name's in the press then all of a sudden they like tend to just like rope your name and write off about you say hey this student was one of the best look at them being part of this social like like um <laughs> society and so forth and you're just thinking when you finally discover it and you read it you're just like what, <laughs> what? Like, <laughs> and that happened to you not not to me but like and luckily well actually kind of because I think my um, my college one they wrote about me and I was just like oh but bear in mind I was actually doing something good for them because we were doing like a corporate video so we were oh. written up about and then we were talked about in the local um our local Boris press so I was thinking oh hey yay I'm in, I'm in the like public press and they were just like yeah very lucky to have like you know be part of a or student base and so forth. So I'm like, this, this is person good, would have never been who they were if it was not for their education at so and so school. Yeah, because <laughs> like I've noticed them. 
was it? So the guy, I think, from Serum Industries, right? Um, Adar Poon-Wallace, he actually went to our business school. And then it's so weird because they've never, ever covered him at all. Then all of a sudden, it was announced that how, um, you know, he's, his company, his father's company, the one that he's managing, is I think is doing, like, the, the vaccine. Uh-huh. All of a sudden, our university was, like, you know, he was a brilliant student from like the late 90s or early 2000s you know we could have also a better like in the United to be representing us you can tell like how diverse our university is and how much connections we have globally I'm just like yeah (laughs) (laughs) you're trying to get your name in the press more I mean you can't blame them they graduate like hundreds of students a year or something right so they can't write about everyone when they see their chance they, they grab it yeah, they're probably just going through like the database so just like huh let's check up about this student yeah they're like oh arjun would have never been the the management mogul he was if it wasn't for his education here mm. <laughs> it's just yeah. so funny about it i'm just like oh look at them <laughs> it's hilarious yeah yeah well what else what else would you uh like do outside of school during high school but like I was actually I, I did quite a lot I believe like I did um I was part of a weekend sort of um group called stagecoach so they were acting and performance group Whoa. hang on bear with me no I uh I I, I took theater in high school yeah it's just because like I was part of that so it was like a weekly thing for a term and then um I guess I was just too hyper as a child so I had a lot of um energy so I guess my parents were just like okay well you you channel it towards this right you you do this burn off your excess energy but to this day it's one of the best when I look back at it it's one of these best like um after school or weekly yeah activity I've ever done because like the the friends I've made there have gone on to achieve so many good things. Because mm-hmm. I, I believe one of them who was like older than me, oh, hang on. Yeah, one of them who've, um, who's gone on, she's gone on to become a doctor. I believe like she helps her on the like, front lines when, during the height of the pandemic. Um, one of them as well graduated from um, theater school, like, well, film school or drama school, whatever you call it. And then I believe she was recently cast in a, in a like, production off in Manchester. So I'm thinking, well, they, you know, like, just to read about how good they're all doing is just like, yeah, I'm proud of them. I'm proud of their success, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then what, awesome. As well, because we went to the same um, high school as well. Um, yeah, we went to the same high school. So it's so funny because, like, he ended up going, I believe, to either Oxford or Cambridge University. And I believe he was offered, like, a place there. Like, they actually reached out. So I was like, hey, this is my friend Curtis. Like, he's done really good. Yeah, you can't wait to see the, your school write about him later. Mm, yeah, yeah, I can't, you know what? But I'm, I'm really terrible, though, because, like, yeah, I know, like, how good they've done, but I, I try and force myself to keep it to a point of actually checking in with everyone to make sure, like, hey, you know, like, 
because I, I know during like the pandemic everyone went through a phase where they were so isolated they like didn't know how to like um, who should reach out to like the mental health and so forth so mm-hmm. I try and make it a point to like reach out to people that I haven't been in contact with to say hey like you know if you ever want to talk like I'm here just so you don't get like too lonely and you feel like you don't have anyone to reach out to oh, that's nice yeah uh, after uh, after high school, well, where'd you go for college? So I went to my college called Harrow College. So it was up on the Wheelstone campus. So that was great as well, because like, they were, again, leading industry professions. So I went from, it, it was so weird, because I went to like wanting to do business, but like, be thinking, actually, I think I'm going to do media now, media studies. Oh. it was so great I did this but the only thing I've learned was that you're literally just working 24-7 from what I've compared from my my um from college to university was the workload I found myself like I remember just conducting this like brief study I think I found myself only having like three hours sleep a day when I was at um college compared to when I was at like, university I believe it was like a roughly around four to five hours. So I was like, I'm so grateful for the extra like couple hours of sleep, right? But again, pushing that aside, like going back to college, yeah, because I did media studies. So we had like these great lecturers. I believe one of them were like a, was actually an award-winning win- film producer. And then another one, he worked within like the BBC. So he had connections with Colin Salmon, one of the actors, I believe, from... Um, the hustle the real hustle there's a british show over here and then again another guy who i don't know i think he kind of fell into teaching i'm not sure but yeah <laughs> and then another um teacher she was predominantly like just a film editor and it was great because these were teachers that were actually passionate about their jobs because you know throughout life right or throughout education you meet teachers that are just like yeah they say they're passionate but they don't pass on the knowledge at all no they don't really care yeah exactly whereas these teachers were just like no you're the you're the future generation you're going to be the ones like leading this country right so we're going to mold you we want you to achieve the best and then what i loved so much about about it was that they constantly always tell you yeah and make you like um, step out of your comfort zone which was like you know unique because in a way like you'll just be like oh no I'm a bit afraid they're just like no but like just remember someone else behind you in the queue behind you who wants that same position you're in can do it 10 times better than you so if you truly want to work here and achieve something like you go out there and you go and achieve it oh that's good yeah it was good. It was like, yeah, like I was saying, we did media. We did, um, we had to do like, what was it? A lot of um, filming, a lot of, um, what do you call it? Editing. So like, you know, background media is still there. And then from college, I ended up switching and going straight back into business. So I did, um, so I went to a university called Westminster Business School mm-hmm. in central London. So that was also amazing because, again, it was, um, but my pathway I studied, I did business management with entrepreneurship. So you had to do 
like an actual um, launch business at the end of it. So that was like really amazing. And the, you know, it was, it, it was like firsthand experience just seeing that how, um, I, I guess you could say like the glass ceiling effect, right? You can, for a female, just being so limited compared to like my male counterparts where they'd like just get through instantly. Whereas me, I had to work like at least like 10 times harder just to achieve like something. But it was persistence that got me there. What about you? Oh, well, I'm still in school, so. No, I mean like from uh, high school to college. High school to college, I think. I think I don't think I've changed. I think I still have the the same laissez-faire uh, attitude towards things. And from college, I mean, in high school, I went to like a private IB school, mm-hmm. and like an international school. And then coming to university, the people are much different. You know, I feel like Americans are a little behind on things. And um, oh yeah, it was a very big change. Like just uh, how people interact with each other. Like, cause I went to international school overseas mm-hmm. and I didn't come back to America until it was time for university. And so like, that was a big change for me cause I you don't have like the, the same like community bubble. People don't have the same values. Uh, there's just so much that's different. And um, it kind of made me not like being in the States. I kind of want to go back overseas. But whereabouts overseas? Like, would you predominantly oh, want to reside? Anywhere. Just get me out of here, man. <laughs> oh, man. Um, you just sound like, yeah, so, like some family members are just like, yeah, just take me. I just want to yeah, be out of the U.S. I'm just like, hey, that's on you, you know. You chose to live there. You like stick through it. Yeah, but I mean, living in the U.S. is bad until it's good. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot that's good, but there's like a lot that's bad. Like, I really don't want to maintain a car. I don't like. I don't like driving. It's a very big lifestyle change because so I have to start doing a lot of stuff for myself. Like, I no longer had like a maid or a driver or anything. It's like I'm, 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 I'm the one taking my laundry downstairs. And if I don't make my bed in the morning when I come back at night, it's still unmade. That mm. sort of thing. But then I guess like those sort of small things kind of set you up for your day, right? Because it's like your first task of the day. Like you should actually be making your bed and so forth. Because then that puts you in a like, mindset to like, okay, I'm ready to like go ahead and seize the day. Like go, go ahead and make sure like my schedule is going to be complete and so forth really i i don't like doing it i feel like i just want to go ahead and like like before i go to sleep the next day like i kind of make like a mental like list of like things i need to get done the next day mm. and then with adding on the laundry and then adding on making the bed i'm like oh, I, just, I wish i didn't have to do it i wish i could just get up and like go and do what i wanted to do hey yeah. do you have do you have this like notification thing from zoom that there's like a certain amount of time left and you have to upgrade i think that's um because you're hosting it so it tells you that but it was oh. weird because like i think the other day yeah i just had a zoom meeting and that came up but i, I had like over like a, 
I think my meeting ran for like a, at least an hour and a half extra. And I didn't get charged. So I'm thinking, who got charged in the end? Because it wasn't me. Oh. Yeah, because it yeah. says like I have like a certain amount of time left before I have to upgrade. And I've never seen this before. I mean, like yeah, I've recorded I for like two hours and, you know, it's never shown up. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe um, I know they cap you at 45 minutes. Really? Yeah. When did this and start? I know, I know. And I know during um, COVID, they, um, uh, I think they eliminated the limit, right? They got rid of the limit so everyone could talk as for as however long as they want. But I didn't. Hmm. Yeah, that who seems... does get charged? That's a very good question. Because I, I, I mean, like my thing, my credit card isn't connected to a Zoom account yet. Yeah, that's like me. Because um, when it said that, I'm like, yeah, I don't have my car details. I don't know who's getting like charged for this. That's my worry. I hope it doesn't end the meeting randomly. No, it probably won't. Oh, okay. I'll like, yeah. forget about it. Yeah. <laughs> Worst case, yeah. you can always like, rejoin the same conversation back, right? Never oh, same yeah. Zoom. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but America, moving to America was like a big uh, culture shock in a way. Because I had grown up in like this very, like in this bubble. And I was around, I was always around like really educated people and stuff. And it was like a very, like everyone spoke a couple languages. Everyone was from a different country, that sort of thing. And everyone came from like a very privileged background. I think coming here, you go from uh, like up there, you become like you're very like a regular civilian now, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like just a lifestyle change and like the like changing the in the way like people like seeing the way people think and everything was a really big culture shock to me. Like I had to really adjust, and I was like, wow. Like I I look back on it like previously, I'm I'm like, wow. Like I'm very fortunate to live such a privileged life. But also it's like, yeah. I don't like the life that I'm living here now, you know? And I like, it instills this kind of like a, like drive where it's like, I've seen how good life can get. And right now it could get a lot better. So it's like, I'm motivated to achieve this lifestyle. But at the same time, I know it's like, it's going to take a very long time because that's a very like expensive lifestyle to achieve. No, but you're absolutely right. Because I remember at one point, because like when I reflect back, look back, um, and I'll be talking to my friends, and I'll be like, "Oh yeah, but this country is very nice." If you've ever been to like, if you've been to like the South American region or the Caribbean countries, they're absolutely lovely, and so forth. Again, you just have to worry about crime and so forth, right? And they're just like, "How do you know this?" And then this is what makes me think, right? It's like growing up my parents it was just absolutely normal because they'd fly out and then obviously only like school holidays we'd um, end up going to america to like visit you know family or like if they have to conduct business we'll be there on our own like family holiday and we'll be like in canada like america's like different states and so forth and then we'll be like in again if we can like we'll get to go back and they'll take us back to like south america and guyana yeah, it was like uh, people in the, a lot of people in the U.S. <coughs> pardon me. They uh, some of them I've met people who have never even left the state of Texas, and that's like surprising to me. Yeah, so, no, but you're absolutely right because like um, as well going back um, 
to like talk to my friends and how I say, yeah, we, we've been all over here, 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 yeah. And even in like parts of Europe, right? Only as mm-hmm. of recently, because we tend to go to a lot of the side. But again, it just makes you realize how like lucky and how privileged you are to have this like sort of experience. And yeah, memory and knowledge. Because when you like interact with other cultures, you know, it makes you like, wow, this is, you know, I guess you can say like it broadens your like personal growth in a way. Yeah, I'll, I'll be like taking these like little experiences from specific cultures and like they kind of like, become a part of uh, who I am, you know, and like my habits. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's uh, but, one interesting yeah. thing I think it's developed is uh, the accent. Like my accent is a very has ended up being so muddled that it's a very blank American accent, which is funny because I haven't lived in the United States until I was about uh, about 2019. But I've always mm-hmm. had this kind of accent. And it's like a very blank political accent. Whereas but how did it in the sound? US, hmm? How did it sound prior? It, it sounded like this the whole time. It's always sounded like this. Really? If anything, normally, I sounded a little more uh, British. Yeah, what were you going to say? Yeah, because normally, um, sometimes it tends to change, right? When people, um, I guess, like, it kind of sound not a bit too Arab, but it will kind of have that dialect or intellect, like, uh, dialect where it, it would turn to that American Arab type. Oh, I sound Arab? No, like sometimes when then, because I have a few friends, right? Because they're from a few of them that I've like known for a long time and they're well traveled. Some of them will have like the American accent, right? But Mm. because they've lived in different countries and like their parents are obviously like expats and and so forth, their accent will be like American, but it will sound a bit entwined with the Arab. Like, it makes how they, they sound. So I was like, hmm, unique. I'll be like, let me, what else? Like, you know. Yeah, see, I never developed that interesting that? accent. I wish I was that... cool like Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp is from Florida, but he doesn't sound like it at all. So that was really interesting because I remember like first hearing about the whole thing with him, right? How he was abusive. And I'm thinking, no, that can't be true. Because I remember back in high school, we had this media studies teacher, right? And mm-hmm. he worked on a lot of like high profile movies. And I think last one he worked on was with Johnny, no, was with Robert Downey Jr. in the Sherlock Holmes movie, which was, mm-hmm. you know, I found terrible. And then I didn't know he worked on it. And he was like, what do you guys think of this? And I was like, it was terrible. I, I, I fell asleep. <laughs> I felt like I fell asleep in the cinema and so did everyone else. And then he oh. was just like, just to let you know, I've worked on it, and we were just, and then I went too quiet. Yeah. He set himself <laughs> up for that one. Come on. Yeah, I, yeah. I dug my own grave. Yeah. Oh man, yeah, but um, he because I remember we were asking him who's like one of the best celebrities you've ever met, and then he said hands down, and he put his whole life on it. He said Johnny Depp is the kindest person you'd ever meet, and he's so fascinated with the British accent. Like, seriously, he's one of those guys that would rather make sure the whole crew and cast are well are looked after and then put himself, you know, last. 
I'm thinking, this guy seems like really cool. And I'm thinking, no, maybe you just like, you're just saying it because you met him. You met him. He's just like, no, no, he's worked with him with like a few other movies as well. Mm-hmm. So then it kind of like, makes you think, like, you know, all right, he is a good person. And then to hear this whole thing come out, and then, you know, unfortunately, like, his whole childhood like came forward where you know we found out that how he was actually abused by his mother and so forth him and his sister you know it was quite sad yeah yeah it was sad but his accent is so interesting yeah it it, it alternates kind of the madonna accent right what's the madonna accent Uh, how she has the american but goes into like british whoa yeah and it's kind of um you know, it, it just changes and switches. Whereas com- compared to what's the other actress, um, Gillian Anderson, X Files, the X Files lady. I, I don't know her name, but I think Gillian or Gillian, how do you say her name? Anyway, because she switches accents. Because I think she predominantly, I think, um, spent time between the US and UK, right? So she'd actually code switch. But Johnny Depp has like a single accent. He doesn't switch between an American and a British, but he just has like this accent that kind of sounds British, but isn't British, but doesn't really sound American. And like, you can't, you can't pin it down to like where it is. I've always really liked his accent. The Jack Sparrow accent. (laughs) Yeah, the Jack Sparrow accent. You know, I think to myself like, damn, I've lived in all these countries my whole life. Why didn't I get a cool accent? I just sound like every dude from the East from, like, D.C. <laughs> oh, man. That's actually quite funny. Yeah, it's just like, funny now. Looking back on it, like, damn, I should have developed an accent. Oh, wow. So th- that's, like, actually funny because I thought with my parents living here as well and then, like, obviously other family members and so forth, I thought their accent would change to be more english but they mm-hmm. haven't it's still the strong caribbean the so like so like so strong i'm just like wow sometimes and especially because they pronounce things well because like they grew up obviously in the like south america but they were brought up to learn the british way but the pronunciation was more the american way mm-hmm. so it, it's kind of like weird it's like you hear it you're just like what what I think the accent change happens can only happen when you're younger. Like once you, after a certain age, you just kind of like you're you're done, you know. Unless you're an actor, of course, because actors like I'll be so surprised to like watch a movie, like an American movie, and then later see an interview with the actor and they have like a British accent. Like I didn't expect uh, Benedict Cumberbatch to have a uh, British accent. I was so taken aback by that. Really? Was British, yeah, or like Tom Holland is British too, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, but see, no, I would have no, never known. Because my niece as well, because she's obviously, my niece and nephew are in Australia, right? So mm-hmm. they actually have, well, my nephew actually has the um, the Australian accent, but my niece, she code switch. So when she's with her friends, she actually sounds more Australian than when she's talking with us. It's just the pure British accent so strange right yeah but it's just something you can just like switch and turn off immediately 
And then, yeah. but my sister as well, and my brother-in-law, because they've been to Australia, like, you know, they've been living there for, what, seven years, I think? No. Yeah, I think roughly around that time. They they still have, they still, like, are maintaining their British accent. I thought it would actually, you know, sound more Australian. Oh. Yeah, yeah. My, my accent had like a like a stronger British note to it when I was in high school because a lot of my teachers were British or a few of them were British. And it was like an IB system. So there's more like there's more British influence than American, I would say. But I really don't know how I ended up with a, like a very American accent. Like I, I just sounded American the whole time. And you could just tell like from the second you, you hear me talk, they're like, oh, yeah. Unfortunately, that that's just the one base I have. Maybe it's um who you were surrounded with or what you read and so forth, because like or um shows and stuff, because you know that plays a, like a big role in your accent and so forth. It's like if you predominantly watch like um the US shows, right? Obviously, your accent will be more towards that. You you'll just stay in touch, I guess you can say. But whereas, like, um, again, I've noticed this with high school when um, a few of, like, fellow classmates and they'd watch American shows, all of a sudden their accent would obviously change to, from British, to sound a bit more American. Mm. Yeah. And I was thinking, hmm, you've only watched, like, two sh- episodes. How, how, like, you know, how all of a sudden your accent's changing. Yeah, you're trying a little <laughs> too like, hard there, buddy. Yeah, I'm just like yeah. making yourself an honorary like American or something or what? <laughs> like claim back your rights as a Brit. No, no. If you're British, you should become American or like the better version. <laughs> have you been to I York? Think the Canadians in, are uh, at that point. <laughs> have you been to York in England? Um. So actually, my sister actually came back from there, but no, yeah, I well, haven't. I mean, if you see York, you'll understand why we made a new one. <laughs> oh, man. You know, compare our York to your York, you know? Yeah. But America um, is like the upgraded version of the UK, pretty much, right? That's how, it, like, the founding fathers were all British people. We're like, we just don't want to pay taxes anymore. And then we became America. And now we have worse taxes than the Brits. Yeah, that's the one thing I've noticed. Like every year, you guys have to do your own tax returns, right? And yeah, you see every single manually American. file them. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm thinking, wouldn't it be more better to have like your actual, like come out of your actual like paycheck and so forth? Like automatically how they do it for us and everything that you buy is automatically you know added on so you're paying for that from what i understand it's uh it's because of the tax law so the way it works is like you you do it yourself manually because there are things that you can figure out how to make tax-free or like deduct tax from certain places so it allows you to be creative and like you know get away with a lot more than if it was just an automatic system that just took yeah, you know, that just took that percentage of tax or whatever uh, from you all the time. That's how like Americans, like the rich Americans are known for like paying very little tax. 
It's because they can just, you know, figure that out. Yeah, but don't they do that through their own company, though? Because I know from um, you guys, right, I believe, like, if you guys misreport how much you've earned or something, the IRS will come for you or something like that, based upon that, I've heard. Oh, yeah, in America, you can, yeah. you can get away with a lot, right? Like, you can get away with, with things that you wouldn't get away with in other countries. But the one thing that the government doesn't play about is is the tax. Like they'll send like I like IRS has like probably like hit agents and stuff that they'll send after you because they really want their tax money. But uh, no, yeah, any any American can set up a business because like the tax law is geared towards um, encouraging the uh, like economic activity. So anyone can set up a, uh, an LLC for like six hundred bucks. And you can like deduct tax by like making your purchases through that. But yeah, Wait, I, I did you say six hundred dollars just to set up an LLC? So over here, if you had to set up a company, right, uh-huh. it's only ever worth like you're only paying, I believe, like twelve pounds. <laughs> so that's yeah, like, like under seven hundred bucks to like get it set up. <laughs> oh my yeah. god! Well, that's really as far as I'm aware. Yeah. And it's a I mean, ripoff rip off i mean yeah yeah i guess oh fuck not like well, we got not like it. i got a choice yeah because i know that everything is just so simply like automated for us if we wanted to set up something i said we can you know you can set up yourself you can go into your local government or government website and they'll literally have the step-by-step process and if you do something wrong obviously they'll highlight it they'll be like hey correct your mistake and if you're unsure please follow like the simple steps to like mm-hmm. rectify it so i'm like this is like very nice well it's the land of the free but freedom comes at a price uh. <laughs> yeah no like <laughs> no but to be honest i i do like it because um the stories i've heard right well apparently what what was it like yeah you guys with your dmv or something right if you have to have to wait a long time in line just to get what your license or something whereas for us we can just send it off and then within a week or two later we get our license back wow yeah i I can't relate i have to go to the dmv early in the morning before anyone else gets there and no matter how early you get there there'll be people that got there before you and you take a ticket and you're like, you're waiting in line for what, four or five, six hours. And then you yeah. finally do the thing. And God forbid you forgot like one piece of paper. Then you got to go back home and do the whole thing all over again the next day. Yeah, see, all of that could actually be eliminated just by making it all online, <laughs> digital and automated, right? Imagine if you guys implemented that, had the infrastructure in place. Like no more waiting around wasting your days where you could have like actually done something a bit more like you know achieve something else you wanted to set out to achieve that day instead of worrying and thinking i'm gonna like have to waste the whole day just waiting in line yeah one thing i find i found funny was um you have to drive to the dmv because they're not usually everywhere you have to drive to them to get your driver's license but how can you drive somewhere if you don't have a driver's license you know i always found don't that really you, funny like a a letter or something to say hey use this just in case if you get stopped like no. even though you have your what seriously yeah, you, you don't get that no wow okay because like for us i know when you pass your driving test right mm-hmm. so you you have this little green 
card, right, which is your provisional, she's like, hey, you're not yet a fully qualified driver, but you're still learning. But when you pass it, you give that to the examiner and the examiner gives you this lesson and say, hey, well, um, you know, this is your certificate to prove that you passed and so forth and, and everything. Like, hold on to this. And then in two weeks, you should get your fully, like, full driving license in the post, which is a pink card to the green one. And then, yeah, you can just use that. No, we don't have that. The closest thing we have to that is a driver's permit where it's like if you're under a certain age, if you're under 18, you can get a driver's permit where you have to drive with a licensed adult. And that's it. You don't, there's no like paper that you can show the police or anything. I, I guess you just go to jail. I don't know. Don't they have like a amount of years? Like you have to be a qualified driver to be able to drive with them. The newbie driver, like the I guess you just cross your, I guess you just cross your fingers and like hope you don't get caught on the way there or something. Because <laughs> I know for us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're like a new, if you're just a, a professional British driver, you're still learning how to drive. You can have, I believe, an adult who's a driver, but they have to have like at least three years driving experience. Like from oh, wow. the date, yeah, from the date they've actually like um, received their driving license. Yeah, so what I about the three-year thing now? I mean, once you've got your license, you've got your license, that's it. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Very odd. Yeah. A lot, of, a lot of strange rules. Yeah. That's another thing they should add in. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why we don't have automated systems. It's not like we don't have the technology or something. Yeah, and then another thing. You guys and your banking system, that's another thing that irritates me because I know um, like my uncle is just like, yeah, we still don't have like the bank transfers. Like we can't do that. How you guys can just ask for the account number and sort code and you can send anyone any amount of money that you want. Just make that transfer within the day, right? Whereas them, like you guys, I believe you have to wait like a, you have to do like a routing number and something. Yeah, there's the account number and the routing number, and I think there's a, yeah. a wire number. Yeah, I'm just like, what is all of this? I'm yeah, just like, it's, it's just too it's long. complicated, yeah. It's there's no, so like, long. single tap, like, transfer or anything. It's not that simple. And th- this is why I believe, like, obviously you guys predominantly just use third-party apps, so, like, PayPal, Zelle. Um, yeah, so yeah PayPal way. rules like the internet and like uh, transfer, and then in person is like Zelle is Zello, only works right? with with so Zelle only works with Chase banks, I think, or like a few banks. It doesn't work mm-hmm. with all banks. Venmo is yeah, Venmo is like uh, the the popular peer to peer one, or Cash App. Yeah, that's all the one. Or Apple Pay if you have an iPhone. Mm. yeah very complicated now that i think about it they really don't want you to make money in america they want you to stay poor i guess (laughs) but the thing is one thing about america though is you can get richer here than you'd be able to get anywhere else in the world like i think the main reason that people come to america like like immigrate is because like you can like you can come here and work and like make like a lot more money than you would uh, outside of America.
Hello? Yeah, hello, you just cut out for a second. Did I? It, I just heard um, America, people come to America, and then it oh. just went. Okay, let me say that again. So I think the main reason that people come to the United States is because here you can make more money than you would be able to anywhere else in the world. Yeah. It's one of um, you guys, your infrastructure, is, uh, I would actually say it's really outdated. I believe like when I was last there, you guys had more like Wi-Fi hotspots <laughs> to connect to than having to worry about, you know, racking up like roaming charges like an international person i'm like what but in the terms like yeah there's so much here room for improvement for you guys like the the whole banking thing is just one and then as well when we were there like i remember telling my cousin i'm like do you guys not do um like have like um what do you call it takeaway apps because i know if we had um deliveroo and just eat and then they deliver within the hour, like t- at least 20 something minutes max, and they'd get to you. And then she'd be like, yeah, we don't have that. And if we do, it, by the time it reaches us, it's, the food's already cold. You might as well just go eat at the restaurant. And I mean, then I yeah, believe now- That's because London is like the, it's like tiny. It's like, it's walkable. In the United States, you gotta drive everywhere. I gotta drive like 10 minutes to get to the nearest gas station. I got to drive like half an hour almost to like get to my university. It's like nothing is like that close. You know what I mean? Like your food will be lukewarm by the time you get here. By the time I like, and we have delivery apps. We have like Uber Eats and stuff. Or like, yeah. At least now we do. But like, like even, yeah, well, it's just like yeah, far, you know? Yeah, because I remember um, saying, what about groceries and so forth? Because I know all local like supermarket grocery stores, especially they have like um you can do your online shopping and they deliver at home to you so like you know if you're working from home it's the most ideal thing because they literally just pop up and um, knock on your door and be like hey yeah you just ordered this like you know take your groceries and so forth and they're just like yeah we still don't have that but then i think now um hearing about it they now just implemented it i can't remember the app um yeah things like this like i think the grocery delivery thing exists but like almost nobody uses it all this stuff only started coming around like once COVID hit like before that almost nobody used this kind of stuff yeah even for the whole thing as well because um um, like because we have this thing called like um, tap and go they contactless payment basically and I believe Apple is just about um doing that so you guys are just getting a taste of it but we had that since I believe like 2000 and six or seven i can't uh, i think and i remember it was first introduced and you just had a, um, a limit of just five five pounds and then slowly they started to increase it to 10 15 20 and then i think now obviously because of covid and everything's happened you know they want to eliminate money and the past of covid being um, transferred to different people transmitted and so forth so they increased it to like 65 or 70 and I believe like it was one of the most best things to like have ever existed. You literally just tap and just go. And it's so much more like, as of ease instead of worrying about, you know, making sure when you're at the till, you're just like, oh, let me check that like, I have the right amount. Where's my cash? 
and then you're scrambling to get back the change and quickly just like shove that away before like the next person behind you is just like hurry up yeah yeah that uh that tap and go thing isn't even everywhere yet like i don't think walmart even has uh tap and go yet it's not even like tap and go like sometimes it doesn't work you know what i mean it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that, it's just like the minor things and this is what made me realize like wow because even when I was in Canada as, as well because mm-hmm. they prefer like obviously the um physical cash over like just using your card they said no we don't want the plastic just give me the actual you know money and you just be like wow it makes you realize how spoiled you are yeah I mean for- the more you see the more we talk about it the more i realize like again how like the u.s is like the world's superpower right but we still have a lot to do like uh i guess on like a very social level yeah because i even but don't get me wrong though like when i'm when i'm in like canada u.s or south america or even europe away from the uk it makes me realize how cheap everything is you think I mean cheap? No, no. It makes me realize like how cheap the rest of the world is. Like you can actually buy something, and you'd be like, "Wow, that's so much cheaper here than if I was to get it in the UK." Like for instance, like um, um, what was it? Like I think like for us, especially if we have to park up, you have to pay to park, right? So that's just the go-to standard for us. Like we've grown up, we don't think twice about it. Like oh yeah, it's a standard. You just like you know pay to park your car in a secure, secure like parking lot but then when I was in a, I remember being in the south of France and I'm thinking and it only then just hit me and just like you just park up I remember I asked my sister it's like oh did you like get the ticket to like pay for the car she's like oh no no they don't do that here and I'm just like what and, and it's just like the minor things that just make you like snap back and think wow we literally have to pay for everything yeah I mean yeah, paid parking in America. There is paid parking, but some places uh, don't have it. I would prefer not to have to park at all, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, living abroad and then moving back here, things seem super expensive, but it's all relative. Like when I was in London, I went to get tea, and it was like twenty-five pounds, like at the for like two people. I was thinking to myself, Wait. that's like almost $30. And this is like boiled leaves. Where did you go? Where did you go for the tea? Uh, it's, it's this place called La Durée. Um, yeah, so that's like a touristy area. So they would obviously like, you know, it's a shop that just French, but they literally will make money off of everyone, any and everyone. Because I was thinking like 25 quid just for tea. No, yeah. you can literally just go yeah, to your local supermarket pick up pg tips or yorkshire tea that's probably like what a pound something pound two pound <laughs> and oh, you can get like over what a hundred to two hundred yeah teas out of that <laughs> yeah good good point it, it wasn't a tourist area it was in a it was in central yeah oh yeah okay man yeah central yeah, even when you're in other countries overseas, then that makes you think that even America is more expensive. Like things in America, America costs an absurd amount. I know like a, a Coca-Cola costs like $2 here, I think, or no, a, a dollar something or $2. Yeah, 
But then in some countries overseas, if you convert the price, it costs like 35 cents or 80 cents. And then it makes you think like, I think the price is all just, uh, they all coordinate to like standard of living and like the, just what things like would normally cost. Yeah, the cost of living, and especially now, I only ever understand because of the rise of inflation, right? So everyone's mm. kind of, okay, well, you don't realize how expensive things are until when you go shopping, you're just like, oh, hang on, this has actually increased from what it was before. Yeah, my dad would complain sometimes. He'd be like, oh, these McDonald's used to cost like $5 back in my day, like the 1990s. And I looked up like an inflation calculator and I'm like, because it costs like $10 something now, or like like 11, 12. I looked yeah. up an inflation calculator and like $10 now back then was like six bucks. So like, it makes sense. But like mentally, like $5 to $10, it seems like double the price when it's really, it's the same price. Because I remember my mom yeah, was telling me, like, I think back in the 80s or something and mid-90s, mm-hmm. I remember she was telling me that how when, a, you know, her parents as well, my grandparents, when they were here back in London, they would, like, look through, yeah, and they, they'd say, you know, you could actually buy a house for, like, I think, like, under £100. And I was like, what? They're like, yeah, back in the day, you could actually buy a house for £100, buy an estate or whatever you want. Like, that. that's acres upon acres of like land with your house and so forth right a stately home for like just a hundred pounds I'm like what how cheap it was back then now it's like you're close to like what a million you have to pay just to buy a house in London forget a house it's like an only an apartment you could get with a million yeah yeah I think apartments are like they try and rip you off how yeah a million then, like, you could have added. like a like a minimum wage job and afford like a car and a house and like support a family but now yeah. it's like on a minimum wage job you can barely afford yourself yeah because i remember yeah she was telling me that how one time i believe like someone bought like two cemeteries for 5p 5p yeah i know two cemeteries for five feet and you can imagine like how many acres of like land like this cemetery each cemetery has right and i think he sold it back to the government for i think it was like over five million each after like a a 10-year period and i'm just like wow it makes me think i'm just like how cheap right it was back then compared to now and how much you could actually get for the like you know, for money's worth of things. Dude, 5p now wouldn't even get you the grass in a cemetery. <laughs> no, 5p would just allow you to just, like, view it from your windows. <laughs> nah, but they probably charge you for that, too. they probably charge you 5p for thinking about the cemetery. Yeah, I think now like, they'll probably say, hey, actually, just by looking and breathing, you have to pay your CO2 charges, right? <laughs> You'll call yeah, yeah, you breathe the air near the cemetery you're contributing to the depreciation of the land so you yeah. gotta pay tax for that too yeah because all of that now is being factored in but even if you have to like book a plane ticket it will tell you well this flight to this destination uses um roughly 78 kg like produces 78 kg of co2 what? but good though they include it because it makes you think about your um your own personal carbon footprint right 
No, I think the carbon, the personal carbon footprint is a scam. Really? Yeah, because I mean, I think about, I read this thing where it's like, our, like, like, like people alone, like your normal citizen only contributes up to like 30% of the global total uh, carbon waste, right? That 70% is all like from corporations. Oh, so yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. it's it's like corporations shifting the focus from them to us and make us think, oh, I should get reusable jars instead of plastic packaging. It's like, how about you stop using plastic packaging in your product so I don't have to go and like find something else? It's like it's it's like they're like making all the waste and they're like they're putting the uh, the focus towards us. Yeah. So I read something about this. Um the like a while back and i believe they said um the whole thing with recycling plastic in the mid 90s or something was like was through the oil industry because they know yeah it was um environment and so forth but they the reason why they haven't really bothered about it was because apparently um it was actually much more cheaper to just produce more plastic than to actually like go ahead and do the, do the whole cleanup of it yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So for that like aspect, yeah, I could understand. But then it's so cool because like when you see these like yeah, new entrepreneurs coming out and they're producing these um these sort of things, they're just like, hey, we've actually collected the plastic from the beach, and we're actually melting it, and we're creating like um like three D printed filament. I'm just like, That's this nice. is. Yeah, and I'm just like, actually, this is actually a really smart use case because people, because I know from like 3D printing with work, when you have to do so many prototypes and you have so much like failed prints, right? Mm -hmm. You end up generating this stack and you're just looking for this alternative to like, hey, if you can just melt down these like filaments and because they're made from different materials, you have to make sure like, you know, it doesn't get mixed up. But again, because like the technology is still about like roughly getting there for the 3d printing to just recycle the excess um, plastic and melt it down without paying an arm and leg so it's just kind of like when you see these people doing it at such a like cheaper scale you're just like they can actually market this and there's a whole yeah. like segment and a whole like target market of people that would actually buy this yeah and when I you can get that to like a mass scale i think that's when we can finally exactly. have like biodegradable plastic packaging and we can really because we've like honestly we, we've already destroyed the earth like past repair so the best we can do now is to like curb as much of it as we can yeah no so i believe like a few supermarkets here in the uk so they actually do biodegradable bags right and they encourage you to use it for your food waste mm -hmm. so like they're very for me I, like they're actually very very strict in our like um, our council in our borough our local council will be like nope it's, um you've contaminated your food waste with your like recycling i've seen like one thing end up in it yeah you're gonna have to pay a fine i've seen it happen to people i'm just like yeah i'm so happy that wasn't me like i'm so happy they drilled it into us like my parents are just like make sure you don't put in yeah plastic into the food waste oh okay yeah. what's also something interesting with the uk is like they charge you for bags They'll charge yeah. you a few pence for bags. I've never had that happen here in the in the US. Only when I was in the UK did they charge me for bags. Yeah, I think for the last like few years, like several years, they made it a point 
like I think it was like five p a bag, and then I believe like you know people were just like who cares? It's just five p. Just add in more, right? And then they increased it to I believe like ten p for just your regular plastic bag. And then now like if you now they've changed it to a lifelong bag, so which is like a thicker plastic, and um, I think that's like what twenty p. And you can just use it and go in as much time as you want. And then if that breaks, you can go into the supermarket, give it to them, and then they'd give you a new one for free. That's nice. Yeah. So they actually encourage you, which is like, you know, great. And then because like, um, I've seen like a few other entrepreneurs that like come forward and they're just like, what do you think of my business idea? And this is like to relate to the recycling site. So you, I believe like, um, I know in the Australia they have it, but I'm not sure about the US. But um, Australia has it so that you can actually recycle your, I believe your like um, drinking cans, mm-hmm. and get um, money back for it. And you know it's a good like um, side thing for like kids when they want to save up their pocket money and they want to earn extra. The parents just tell them, well, you know, go and then collect, you know, the drinking cans, and then we can go to the recycling center, and they'll literally pay you. Oh, remember, only homeless people in the U.S. do that. Oh, so like I think for Australia, they're like majority they target like the kids mm-hmm. to get them involved with the environment. Yeah, and I remember um, like a few entrepreneurs had this like had the same idea, and they were saying how well we can actually um, implement it for the people to get more involved in recycling, recycling their plastic, uh, the um, sorry, the tin cans. And I was thinking this is actually interesting, but like, you know, how's that going to have to, like, play in? Because as it is, they're very strict with us, like, recycling things. We have, like, different bags. We have, like, your average household waste, and then you have, like, um, which is obviously your paper, your tissue, and so forth. And then you have your full-on recyclable stuff, which is your um, tin cans, your plastic, and um, your milk bottles, your PETG and so forth right and then your food and right your brown bin which is basically your garden waste so i'm thinking how are they going to play into that because they said they wanted the customer to sort that out and i'm thinking but how again like how 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 are you going to get the customer their money and they were saying well we can introduce the system to recycling companies now and then this is what made me think because i know um recycling companies have the business with the you know, the individuals that take your recycled rubbish away and they sort the plastic to the ca- uh, metal cans, right? And they take the cans to a recycling centre, a furnace centre, right? But they're able to actually burn the um, tins and then they go back to be reused. So my whole like idea to them was like, well, how are you able to like, you know, compete with this market if you're planning to give them the customer's money it was back to like um i was asking them how they're able to like you know give the customers money money from recycling this if they want to do the whole thing of rewarding them and um and again they revealed oh but well we'll do cryptocurrency if they get cryptocurrency and i remember thinking but imagine if because you know um only a particular set of like people know about cryptocurrency right those who are familiar with web3 but if you're talking about say your parents and so forth right the older generation 
and they if they've seen this it's just like oh but you get cryptocurrency so it seems like another thing they're not going to be able to easily understand how cryptocurrency works they're not going to know oh well actually you need to buy you need not to buy you need to set up a a, a wallet through metamask and, and then they'd send you that crypto to match the the equivalent you've like helped recycle right and then yes, it's a very like, niche thing i don't yeah. think most people care about cryptocurrency or even want cryptocurrency yeah and then the whole point i was just like but then you kind of have to sell right sell the whole point of your cryptocurrency and then you kind of have to look at again you have to try and peg it to so it matches the aluminium current trading price if you want it to be like that and they're just like oh we haven't really thought of that because then my idea was that i was like it's a great concept but you know when you just get the vibe like hey i think you're, you're about to you're just in it to scam the individual yeah so that's my idea and that's why like like when people come to me with like saying hey yeah we have this cryptocurrency like your web3 project what do you think i'm just like let me vet this first because you know like as it is like people who launch projects in web3 nine out of ten times they're going to be the ones scamming them they're not actually doing something to help prevent yeah and eliminate co2 or help with the whole climate change yeah, why why is Web three so scary? And I believe it all started out with the whole ICO initial coin offering. Because mm-hmm. I remember when um because when I was considering considering doing a um an ICO launch, and then I heard like um my lovely like team members was telling me the hell yeah, unfortunately like it's being played with them scams, and I was just like oh then I don't want to do that anymore. I'd rather put um my currency towards like actually helping to develop and to like eliminate co2 and rewarding companies at the same time but i remember they say yeah there's all these like dead-weighted projects currently listed like they've raised x amount of money in fiat currency and then users get the equivalent in their cryptocurrency but they've seen no progress to date so I'm just like, whoa, the trust levels. And then I believe after that, you know, after your ICO, which is like the equivalent to your IPO, they started to get like a new name. Like they went through the whole STO, so which is the same as ICO, um, security token offering. Then they went from an IEO, initial exchange offerings. I'm just like, what? They're going through the whole rust of like new names and so forth. They're like, yeah. And I believe like after that, they were um, trying to target DeFi, decentralized finance, as well. Like a mm-hmm. few projects as well from that um, within DeFi were, were like scam based. So it's kind of like, oh. And then as well, you know, with the users connecting their wallet and they're thinking, oh, yeah, it's a, it's a legitimate website. And then they find out that actually, no, they've been scammed. And then the users, well, the scammers have actually taken all of their money from the actual wallet what's even worse it's um it's common for people to start a crypto like a crypto coin and like they'll own 51 percent of that coin off the bat and they like advertised it through these like discord servers and twitter and crypto is hype around it right by you know talking about promises they can't deliver 
they make the whole thing look like professional. They have like a website or whatever, like a lot of Twitter followers or whatever. And then the coin like finally like releases, everybody buys it, the price goes up, right, on the coin. And then their 51% becomes like very valuable. And once it hits like high enough, then they sell their 51% and they cash out. And then they yeah. get a bunch of money and then everybody else is just like screwed over. So yeah, yeah, all they do is lose money. Yeah, pump and dump. Yeah. Or I've seen um it was in there was this art project that was uh made to kind of highlight the um flaws with NFTs. And you know what a mm-hmm. rug pull is, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what this artist did was he released these NFTs, people bought them and on open seas, and he literally rug pulled them by replacing all the images with pictures of rugs. <laughs> I know it's like me, but like Rugs. Yeah, it was very, very funny. It's sad though. It is really sad because um, I remember Deso when that launched like last year, mm-hmm. around this time, and I remember there was only like under a hundred of us on the actual platform, and I remember like, one of the conversations I was having with a, another fellow user, and they were talking about um, NFTs, and I was saying, yeah, but the whole point of NFTs, the reason why. Um, you know artists it, it was like advertised more towards artists they're like hey you can actually create a digital timestamp and protect your like artwork it'll be like your very own copyright but it's on the blockchain but i said that a way around this and what they've been found to have like happened to them was that you get thieves right mm-hmm. would actually just print screen it and just resell it and say yeah this is actually from the artist and they just get scammed out yeah, because uh, how is it a copyright, right? It's just a blockchain. Yeah. It's just something that exists. It's not legally protected. No, exactly. And, and you're just thinking like, wow, I can see why artists are like, you know, so a bit more apprehensive about it. Because imagine that's their hard work just going you know, down the drain instantly. The whole idea of like these NFT pictures is so funny to me because from what I understood beforehand, NFT is just an authentication technology. It's like, it's not even something that's on like the front end for users. It's a back end thing. But mm. suddenly, like, I don't know, some people wanted, here, here's my like crazy theory is that this whole thing, the whole like, uh, like the crypto getting super popular and the NFTs is a way for uh, these people to launder money. Because when you think about who, and that's why it's so scammy, right? Because you think about who has like most of the crypto from before, back mm. like way back, like 2012, 2014, it started off. The only people who were using crypto were like people buying drugs on the dark web, right? See how all these like dark web, like drug dealers and like, uh, and like, like whatever, like salespeople who are like selling illegal guns or whatever. Their crypto used to be like, like, Bitcoin used to be pretty worthless. It'd be like 20 Bitcoin, like to a dollar or whatever. And then no, now, you're right. yeah, and now it's like, it's become like, now they're like, this is like worth so much. So they're like, they have all this money that they can't use. So they've just figured out this really, like really cool way to launder it out. And like, it's anonymous and it's like, oh, like NFTs and uh, crypto exchanges and everything. And it just filters the money out. So the whole thing is like a big play by these really rich, like, uh, uh, dark web, like drug dealers and stuff. So, yeah, because I believe like how 
crypto bitcoin was originally associated right was through the dark web like if you had to do or buy anything right they'd be like well actually send me x amount of bitcoins and you'd get this in the post or something or you'd get this delivered to you as promised like that was Mm -hmm. the easiest way to go undetected and i believe when the winklevoss twins were trying to like you know promote an advertise and say hey actually there's more to bitcoin than um, than you think than it's actually being associated with like that's how people actually knew about it because i remember back in college i believe like 2013 2014 my friend right he um was doing his documentary about bitcoin and how easy it is to actually um to buy something from the dark web i don't believe like he was i can't remember what he bought like i think it was like drugs like cannabis or something right and then he was like i wanted to see if it's like possible and i remember reading up about yeah um, bitcoin at that time but my understanding from then was like oh wow like this is blockchain technology right this is cryptocurrency this can actually improve a lot of like infrastructures in our world today if it was to be put towards like good use and i remember like reading about it and i was like, telling him i was like you know what you should do you should actually hold on to it Right. And he was like, yeah, Schnauz, I, I don't believe that. I'm just going to like, you know, just do my work and just like sell it off. I don't really care about it. And then anyway, he, he did his documentary, proved the point. Like he, you could actually buy things with it on the dark web. And um, I remember the way he got it delivered to him, the cannabis, he actually came looking in an actual identical like Amazon package. Mm-hmm. He get through his front door and then he was like, I literally, he literally like documented the whole thing. And then obviously, like, several years later, when the whole, like, yeah, Bitcoin went past, like, the £1,000 mark and then up to, like, 10000 and so forth, you get, like, a, like, I just got, like, a message saying, hey, Shanaz, you were absolutely right. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I still kept mine. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Because yeah. I remember, like, back then, like, when they wanted you to learn about it, because you know you could only be able to buy yeah, bitcoin from mount gox the exchange exchange website and i remember like um if you had to set off like a wallet they'd be like hey just remember your seed password and they'd automatically give you like 25 yeah, 0.25 um bitcoin and then obviously like it, it, it took like a, a no-brainer like anyone could just figure it out like hey you set up like x amount of wallet and you can actually like um transfer that whole amount for free yeah <laughs> to like the main hard wallet that you want you right? Mount Gox. i remember back yeah, when uh in like middle school where you had to mine the bitcoin on a computer and you had to have like a thumb drive that you formatted to be your um hardware wallet because they didn't even have the soft wallets and what my friends and i did was um we basically started using all the school computers to mine Bitcoin. And we would like take, and then uh, we got found out after like a week. Cause it was like, ta- like the computers were like, wouldn't turn off. They were like running overnight and stuff, but it looked like they were off. And like, we got in a lot of trouble for that. And uh, it was like a bunch of big, I don't even know why we we're mining Bitcoin. We had nothing to buy on the dark web. We just, I don't know. We just, we just thought it was cool to do it. And then um, I, I can't. I, I wonder where that flash drive is to this day. Because there was like, at least I I like a hundred something Bitcoin on there. Yeah, that's the thing though. I've noticed that because even I'm trying to like locate. I'm like, 
where's my like hard wallet? Like, what was the login information? And I know I have it stored somewhere. I know, yeah, because I'm one of those that's like really organized. I'm just mm-hmm. like, where is this? Where is this? I can just like, you know, cash it out. Yeah, there's somewhere there's a retirement fund sitting on a flash drive somewhere in the world and I can't find it. At yeah, this point, I'm, I'm, I'm just giving up. I'm like, all right, win some, lose some. Yeah, but your story sounds similar to, I think what happened was that um, there was a cyber firm, right, that was just mm-hmm. targeted by these hackers. And what they do, the whole um, virus of that should be to hijack the computers, the workplace computers, right? And then they'd end up mining a coin, some oh. coin, I can't remember. And I thought, you know, it was one of the most brilliant thing ever. But then at the same time, it was like funny but then kind of worrying, right? Like, how weak is your security system? Like, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's met- when you mentioned security. I have a, I'm studying for a security exam right now, actually. Oh. A, yeah, cybersecurity exam right now. But yeah, most oh. people's cybersecurity, most people's security is just terrible. Yeah. There was a, um, there was a dude I'd know in, a, in high school and he would like hack people's snapchats right and initially i thought it was like oh this guy's some like like genius hack or whatever like hacking it's like database whatever this dude just like sent phishing emails people like it would be like it looked like the snapchat email and he'd be like oh Mm. there's been an unrecognized login from your account log in now to you know like secure blah blah blah. and then you'd like press that button and it would take you to like a dummy login page where it would oh. you log in and it takes your credentials and then just redirects you to the Snapchat website, and that's it. And then he has your login, and the person wouldn't be like any the wiser, you know? Yeah, because I believe like that's one of the biggest crimes today, right? You're phishing. Yeah, phishing scams because people don't check where their emails are coming from. They just take things at face value. Exactly that, and then as well, yeah. like um, I think again with your passwords, people tend to use like uh, like predominantly password repeaters mm-hmm. so they use the same password over and over again when they're just like no we have to mix it up so that doesn't happen or they tend to use the basic one two three four five six seven eight nine ten or password and you're just like seriously you couldn't be a bit more like you know yeah like you really can't remember anything harder than that exactly and then this There's is a- why they introduced the whole two-step um factor authentication and then mm-hmm. i believe um the whole point of using your face id login which was actually you know one of the biggest like game changers yeah with uh with nfts how do you feel about celebrity nfts because recently uh bella hadid is launching an nft i i feel like you know what to today with um nfts any celebrity that basically understands you like stan you can literally launch something with their name attached they're in it just for the quick care return on investment. Like yeah. They're in it just for the money. And then the NFT is really worthless because I believe, um, you know, Seth Green, the actor, right? Because mm-hmm. he's into like the Web3 thing. And then one of his show that he was making, because I read it in the news, he um, he was launching, the, he was doing this show and the whole point was based off of um, NFTs and utilizing blockchain for his media and um, shows and so forth. But somewhere along the line, he was logged into like a, 
I think OpenSea, the oh. marketplace, but he was a, a duplicate of it, right? And then he logged in, he connected his wallet, and then it turns out that how they transferred like two of his body yacht clubs and they went back to like be sold. Yeah, and they, <laughs> yeah they stole it and else. they resold it somewhere yeah. else. Yeah. And then he was like contacting the guy. He's like, Yeah, you bought this. Um, can we work out a thing where you can just like send it back to me? <laughs> so there's that aspect as well it's like you know because people are getting really 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 good at like ripping off the real website oh and, yeah and it's, it's, whole, like, it's so easy to duplicate a website now it's like almost no work yeah because like you know the whole source code is that right yeah the source like, code is right there you can download it yeah exactly and then um there's that and then there's just kind of like okay we kind of need to be more safe for the online security side so the the whole thing with um just web3 and then again with the whole security side and celebrities getting involved it's just going to be a whole mass worth of oh, like oh yeah definitely scams. it's going to be i don't know i feel like uh the nft bubble is slowly popping you know like we're kind of people are waking up to the fact that nfts don't really do anything for the most part like the only yeah. the only really successful nft i can think of is the board at yacht, yacht club nft and that's because it was like a bunch of celebrities have it and then it's kind of like a membership card like you get into like some board a yacht club parties or whatever but from what i've seen these are really lame parties like it's just like a it's just like a bunch of like dudes who are into nf like into this tech stuff and then they just so happened to have a quarter of a million dollars they were able to spend on a, a monkey picture mm. and that's it that's like i mean the i think most of it just by chance and it's like okay i, I guess it's like uh it reminds me like the way i see it, it reminds me of like uh car clubs like when you ha- when you buy a Bugatti, you're invited to the Bugatti club, right? Or when you buy like like I think two or more Ferraris or something, then you're invited to the Ferrari club. So it becomes like this ex- like this exclusivity membership where you meet people with like a like a similar socioeconomic level, and then you network, and that's how you make like get you know grow your wealth. Mm, but it's not really. Like, because you know, you can literally just buy a membership from anywhere as well, right? Because I know, um, but I know what they want like, they want the benefits of like the actual connections that come with the membership of being part of those clubs, yeah. But then, because I know, like, over here, it's like if you're part of a racing club, right? For us, because we have like Goodwood, then you have a whole bunch of others, like that my sister's part of, and she's just like, come with me. And I'm just like, no, I get really bored and I'm, I don't want to, like, you know, <laughs> be stuck. And then you're hearing about, like, an old person talk about their life. It's like, I don't mind listening to it, but there's just some days I'm just like, I actually just do want to switch off and just, like, yeah, <laughs> not think about work. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, I feel that. There's just those day, days, days. I'm just what like, do you oh, do for work? So... I actually have a company called Rome Telecom. So originally we wanted to do free b- broadband connectivity and offer mm-hmm. it to those who are less fortunate. 
right? And you can like be able to use it, like I said, for free. But then as time went on, because it was launched out of like my final year university project, as time went on, I wanted to do like a, a solar powered like gadget, a phone. So the whole it was born out of like um like I said, my business was born out of like creating this clean technology product. So a solar powered phone. And then it became so like good, like uh, we won like several competitions and then we had like several people came to us like, like, hey, can we actually license this from you, the actual like technology? And they will pay you in royalties. I'm like, okay, cool. And then I saw like a unique opportunity where I had like several other startups who like, you know, who were students or just about had this idea, but they didn't know how to do like prototyping. I'm thinking, hey, I can actually help you with that. And I can actually help you like mentor and guide you. Because like I went through the stage of having to create my prototype for this like solar powered phone. And we created like a successful like product line and product lines to like yeah, branch off of it that we have licensed out. And then we help them create it. And we're just like, hey, we can actually create this for you here in the UK. And they're just like, what? because they've been told they have to go all the way to China. I'm like, yeah, they tell you the whole go-to thing. Like, go all the way to China, create your product, but you have to pay for a translator. Don't forget, you have to pay for, like, your housing and your plane tickets and so forth. And then, um, oh, by the way, you also stand a chance of being ripped off, right? Because no, they don't care about your patents over there. So I'm like, and they're just like, oh, my gosh. So they do it through me. Um, we, we create their prototypes, the working prototypes. We put them in contact and so forth with like um like the, the British Library because we have a good contact there and they work with them through the whole process of getting the product actually patented and so forth. Wow. So you went from a broadband telecom company to a to physical product company to a... Clean tech, yeah, licensing and then clean... prototype. So a, to a clean tech licensing company that also does uh, prototyping and mentorship. Yeah. That's like from, from this to that, that is a very big like change. Yeah. So then with that comes with um, like, again, from being back at university as well, because like I do get invited back quite a lot and they're just like, Hey, can you give talks to like, you know, the former students and so forth? I'm like, yeah, sure. And then, they're, they're just like wait what you went from that to that I'm like it happened really fast trust me it happened so fast like I, I barely had time to blink how did you feel about that change because I mean like as an entrepreneur you're very passionate about your like the project you set out to do but it went from this uh, you know how did you feel about that change from a telecom company all the way to a uh, prototyping mentor uh, mentorship and licensing company so originally, like, well, because I wanted to do broadband, right? So mm -hmm. I was a bit like, yeah, gut wrenched about it, because then obviously at that time, if we wanted to release that, it would cost hundreds and thousands, probably millions, because um, just had you R and D on it, and then it was just like one of my lectures as well that kind of like just pushed me to creating this product, and then also what actually happened was um, because we're watching, it was like this um lecturer. He said, because he always has to go back to Africa. I can't remember which part, which state in Africa. But he said every year he, he's always like, he always had to go back there on behalf of the university and then also on behalf of like um, 
friends like he's me and he said one of the like saddest things not saddest thing one of the like gracious things that they do like they don't allow plastic and they'd actually like tell you hey you can't allow any plastic into the country and if they do like you know you pay a fine or you, you can just like go and recycle it but it was just what he was telling me about um yeah they don't have like the basic phones like how we have it if they do it's second hand and if it's second hand like you know pretty much the use time for that it's not even a year's worth of like physical usage before it actually breaks mm-hmm. so then my understanding is like but why can't there be a solar powered phone like i mean you can capture the sun's energy right power it use it how you like it and then you have like every you know it would solve the actual problem and then that was just like my moment of kicking on and then I, again i had my like dissertation thesis on it so i was just like oh kill two birds on one stone and then when again having been got wrenched with the whole broadband idea right uh, i realized like this I, I was onto something so i decided to actually like physically make it into a product and I, I believe like I was so relieved when it um during the like fuel testing process and I, I was like it was just when you switch it on and it works and then it's charging and you're thinking, oh my gosh, it's actually charging, it's actually generating electricity, storing it for you to be reused. It was one of the greatest moments of my life. And then again, like showcasing it at our um university's pop-up event and everyone was like, wait, what? I was like, yeah, I know. It this happened. This actually happened. It it was it was amazing. But then as well with the whole mentorship thing that came in, because like I said, like you know, you're there by offering your own expertise from what you went through. Then it's also kind of like telling them, actually, don't be naive and don't fall for like you know what everyone wants you to like, what you want to hear let's be realistic and let's actually work towards achieving your goal as well so then because of that they end up actually putting me few of them end up putting me on like to become um, on the company board or becoming a partner in them so mm-hmm. it's kind of great because you oversee the whole like startup how that scales from like just being you the founding team to growing to like being an actual like you know your first employee it's like you experience the whole um, process again right and then to raising your first like seed like round to like series A and so forth. So it's kind of like exciting. Wow. Yeah. And then as well, the usual thing, again, because I, I feel like you have to kind of mention it. It's just like being, as well, being a female in this industry. Like, I don't think anyone's ever recognized that part. Because again, you always see like your male counterparts like get more recognition than you. But to, for me, finding my lectures are just like, hey, Shnaz, like, you know, we, we talk about you all the time during our teachings, during our like, um, lectures. And I'm just like, these are the current students, like, well, former students, you know, that have achieved this and this during their time studying from this course. And they're always, always like intrigued with like your progress, how it was then, like to date. And it was quite really inspiring as well. And especially, um, I remember, I remember when I was doing my patent <coughs> at the British Library, and I remember my um, my patent attorney. She was like, she just turned to me and she just said to me, she was like, first I just really want to say, like every time we meet, 
she's like I just really want to say you're the biggest inspiration ever for like the females in the industry because she's just like I tell my kids about you and like no there's this like female entrepreneur she's in the tech industry clean tech and she's doing this and they get they get inspired and then it makes you think like wow am I a role model like are people leading by example is this going to be the next wave of like future green and clean tech entrepreneurs like if so it makes you think yeah like hey how can I inspire much more people as well to like get into the industry make sure that they're following their passion too nice Mm. yeah yeah it, it just goes to show that the impact that you have is probably greater than you'll ever be able to see. Yeah. yeah. Because, uh, like, when we had um, a few NGOs, right, we'd partner with them and they'd be like, hey, can you, like, field test our product? And they'd come back and they'd say, actually, you're the only product that actually works and does what it's supposed to, like, do. Because um, I believe one of them said in Africa, they they had like these techno phones that they'd have to buy secondhand, like I said. And if they're lucky, they said roughly a year, but other than that, like three months. And they have to keep buying a new phone, a new phone, a new phone. And it came to a point where it was so like good that we had the um, Democratic Republic of Congo government <laughs> actually seek us out. <laughs> to license really yeah and then when we came to like looking down at the agreements but obviously like the african government and so forth right you know how things are like corruption is mm-hmm. their main driving factor so you're just thinking well actually hey it's like yeah we want to work with you we don't mind but yeah we don't want to be screwed over <laughs> how, how are you contacted by the the democratic republic of congo do they send you like an email and if they do do they have a gmail address or they do they have their own like yeah dprc.com or something some of them do some of them do they do have their own gmail and then some of them actually connect with you like with the actual like the official government um email address but how i actually got connected was because my advisor right he Mm -hmm. was friends with one of the guys and the guys was actually like childhood best friends with the current president. Mm-hmm. So he'd be like, when he found out, he was like, set up a meeting immediately. Oh, okay. So you were contacted in person. Because if I yeah. got an email, I'd be like, yeah, right. And then I'd send it straight to, to the track. Yeah, I'm, like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure official, official DPRC at gmail.com. Yeah, right. Yeah. You'd be surprised, like, I'm just like, but why Gmails, right? And then again, it's because um, like for us, we take pride in using our like um, our email address, whether it's a .ac or yeah, or your company name, right? Yeah. <laughs> email. So like you can tell, like okay, yeah, this is official. This is legit person. But when someone messages you and say, hey, we're from so and so, and we're using a, a .gmail, you're like, yeah. Yeah, it seems like a scam. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm not gonna fall for then- this. And then later you exactly. come to see them in a person, you meet them in person somewhere, and then you find out you missed out on like a, a billion dollar deal just because you thought it was a scam. And you're like, damn, yeah, who exactly. really got scammed in the end, you know? 
Yeah, because like like I said, yeah, they don't really have the infrastructure set up. Mm-hmm. So a lot of them are just like, okay, well, let's cut corners. Let's just use Gmail. Only the very few at the top would get to use like the official like um, email addresses and so mm. forth. Like, so you're just like, oh, really? How did you find out about Hella Doge? Oh, so um, uh, Deso back then it was called BitClout. Uh-huh. And then I believe what was it? My bod actually posted something, and then uh, there was one of his articles that I read, and I was just like, oh, this is interesting. And I remember commenting, and I was like, oh, this is very interesting. I did not know this, right? And then, um, and then what was it? And then I ended up following him because I was like, this guy is interesting, and he's like done so much like good things. And I didn't know he was one of the founders of Genius. And then, and then what was it? His next post was like, because I was wearing board of BitClout. Because there's very few same people you'd see on the same like global page, and then if you were on there, it was pretty much because like you're connected with like a few others, and then they've liked your person. That's how you're able to go on the like um, global page. But again, he posted about um, Hello Doge, and I was just like, "What is this website?" And then when I when I heard about he was doing the whole point where you actually reward the, its users, like I think eighty percent of the Hello Do- um doja coin goes back to the readers right mm-hmm. and those who actually um use the site i was like actually this is actually going to um he's on to something this is actually really great and actually more better and he said only 20 percent gets to be used for like obviously your basic admin and, and so forth so i signed up and used it and this was like i think back in august mm-hmm. of last year and i remember it was making like a few people a few hundred people here i can't remember how much but like there was only like a um jacob was on there um the guy from um keeping it cozy his um youtube then he works for there's a, one of the um media outlets he writes for them mm. and then pretty she was on there as well and i remember like we were all like just in a little circle messaging and so forth <laughs> keeping each other like hey how can we get more users? And I'm, and I'd be like, I'm gonna recruit more from your yeah, BitClout. I'm like, if I get banned from there, <laughs> it's all like for a good thing, for a good cause. Yeah. <laughs> I but found out about it because uh, I was following this uh, this wicked this like a Instagram page that would post like cool, funny Wikipedia articles, and that page would re like repost uh, my bod story. And Mabad's Instagram name is Madoge. So I thought Mabad was, uh, I don't know who's a person. I thought it was a meme page. that just posted <laughs> like memes. And then like, I thought, I thought he was like, so I, I thought it was like, he was like, it was like Twitter screenshots from like a Samsung phone because of like the, because the, uh, of the font. And mm. then at one point, like I saw like the heladoge.com and I was like, oh, okay, let, let me hop on heladoge and see what this is. Uh, that, that's that's what I found. I didn't even know who Mabad was until like a few months uh, after I started using uh, Hello Doge. Yeah, it, but it's grown since then. Yeah, it's gotten much like, bigger. Because like I remember recruiting from BitClout, and then you get a few of the people are just like, I actually prefer you yeah, using Hello Doge for yeah BitClout, and they've made the full on transition. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, this is great. I'm like, more signups. Yeah, I think uh, I think a few months back they passed a uh, hundred thousand uh, signups, right? 
Yeah, because I think um, it's linked to the Mastodon site, right? Too. Yeah. The, yeah, the like back end thing. But here, it's like so great because again, even on um, Hello Doge, you get like a few of the other like users who have ideas or like if they need pointers, they actually message me. And I'm just like, all right, connect with me on LinkedIn and like just like tell me, like, you know, wh- what's currently going on and like a help advice. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, from Hello Doge. I've linked people on like Instagram and LinkedIn. I don't even use LinkedIn that much. I like, I just go on it because I get like like a thousand notifications a month from LinkedIn to tell me to check something. And it's oh. like, everybody takes themselves so seriously on LinkedIn. And it's like, you guys know this is just a social media site, right? And they're like, proud to say that, blah, 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 blah. And they have like a whole like wall of text. I'm like, wow, guys. Like, I thought, I'm gonna look like a, I'm gonna look like an asshole just posting memes, you know? No, but that's the thing though. It's, it's become a bit mixed. So you do get people that post memes and yeah. <laughs> and they're like, people with like, what? Like forty thousand followers, and you know they're probably like influencers on yeah, had on um, LinkedIn and so forth. Imagine it's good, telling but... someone you're a LinkedIn influencer. Yeah, because like, for a while, I what I was it. doing was I was posting like satirical posts. Like I would take those uh, those like proud to say I finally got my first internship, blah blah blah, and I'd make like like really I just like do a satire like oh i'm proud to say i'm filing an intern at this place you know uh, uh after completing my internship you know it was amazing working for 16 hours a day for uh no pay because the experience was great uh i remember almost dying of dehydration <laughs> i just oh, like t- kind of kind of just taking the piss at all these posts yeah but the one thing i would say though because like I think I've mentioned it like a few times, right? And then um, <laughs> with um, LinkedIn, because I did get at a point where like I did have like a few hundreds of like recruiters reach out, and then all all of a sudden they're recruiting for my company. I'm like, yeah, I didn't. I'm not hiring. Why are you hiring on my behalf? <laughs> and then there's actually yeah yeah, and there's actual candidates that reach out to connect with me, like, hey, so and so is hiring. Um, yeah for this position for your company I just want to personally reach out and see if we can like catch up I'm like and it's kind of you know it's up to you to say like I take my time and take like um time out of my day to say hey we're actually not hiring but thanks for bringing it to my attention like you know it was actually this person and so forth and then it's just so crazy the the lengths that recruiters will go to why would someone do that in the first place? I don't place? know. And I remember the other day, right? I think I can't remember which user commented and they were talking about LinkedIn and I was saying, hey, this was like my experience, right? And I kid you not, that when I thought it was all over, right? Again, what was it? One of the Hello Zoe users com- was commenting about LinkedIn, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember I-, I was telling them about my experience. I'm like, yeah, these recruiters, like, just randomly recruiting on behalf of my company and you get like the potential candidates actually physically reaching out to connect and there were actual real individuals and so forth not like the bot people and then next thing you know when I thought it was all like safe and clear that week again it was just like filtering through and just telling people like no not hiring no 
like who who sent you this like where did this information come from it, again all of that just came back what do these people gain from doing this i i don't know i've honestly have asked myself the, that same question i, I think they're, they're hoping that hey they they'd succeed in probably building a connection with me and like my company and then maybe if we do hire then they'd be the one that's awarded the job right mm-hmm. awarded the contract say hey actually you can start like recruiting for my company you earn x amount when in reality i'm like no not after you've like done it this way right yeah because it makes me question if they're doing that to me who else are they doing that to it must be i mean i'm it must be thousands of these people yeah, it must be. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, uh, Shanaz, thank you uh, so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time out, especially since we've had, you know, so much difficulty in our um, schedules. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because I know last time, like, we had to, like, reschedule. And then it was, like, a conflict on my end. With the whole scheduling complex, I was like, "Oh my gosh!" And then yeah, you reminded me um, of the day. And I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Let me like apologize because it's never happened. I was just like, "Because oh. I, I make time when I do things in advance. I'm like, no, I have to follow it through." But then when that happened, I was just like, "Yeah, is actually yeah, something." Well, I mean, just... well, I'm glad that we were able to do it. It was uh, really uh, insightful speaking to you. Yeah, and likewise. <laughs>